Well, if you are new with us, we are in a series called Kill the Spider. Kill the Spider. And what this series is about is the enemy has been using the same tactics over and over and over throughout centuries to trap people, to to hinder people, to destroy people. And throughout the centuries, Christians have identified the seven main tactics the enemy uses. There have been books written about this, these seven main tactics. There, it's called the, the seven deadly sins. And almost all the sins in, in humanity faces falls under these seven categories. And so we're calling them the seven deadly spiders. And we're going to kill these spiders before they kill us. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. And what God says about this deadly spider that we're going to study today, I just want you to know it's really radically different than the predominant voice of the world in which we live. And the spider that I'm going to talk about today, there could be moments as you hear the message that you feel some sort of resistance or tension. That There may be some of you that think, I don't really know what to think about that. And that's okay. I want to encourage you throughout this message to embrace the tension and just positively open up your heart to what God would want to speak to your heart today. I, I want to talk to you today about the spider of lust. Lust is defined on dictionary.com as having an intense sexual desire or appetite, and that would be towards someone. The, the, the deadly spider of lust actually originates from a, a, a sexual desire that's a good. It's a, it's a good desire that's from God. Hear me today. God is in no way against sex. Matter of fact, that's how you got here. I know some of you got you to go process that. Go home and process a little bit. That's okay. Sex is a good thing. It's a God thing meant for the confines of a marriage relationship. And lust happens when we take this God thing that is a good thing and apply it in a way that God never intended. Lust is pleasure without promise. You see, God has a promise for intimacy. You can go all the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 1 and 2, and you can see God created Adam and Eve, and there was intimacy. God created marriage. He created, he created sex. It's a gift from God for a married couple. But lust wants to taint it. Lust wants to devalue it and even destroy it. And we live in a sexually saturated culture. I mean, our culture is just sexually charged. You drive around, you look at a billboard, it's sex everywhere and on television shows and movies, even on your phone apps, you're just trying to order something on your app and all of a sudden some advertisement pops up. You're like, what is that? Or commercial, it's just everywhere. There are sometimes my, my family and I, we're just sitting down watching a television show and, and then a commercial comes on and, and we think, you know, they're just advertising soda or advertising deodorant or advertising Doritos or potato chips. And all of a sudden, you know, you're watching television. You're like, what are they doing? You know, they try to make Doritos sexy. You know what I'm saying? You're like, what? <laughs> Nacho breath is not that sexy. Deodorant armpits aren't that beautiful. Stop that. But it's just sexually charged everywhere. It's everywhere. And one of the game-changing truths that Jesus teaches us about lust is this. It's so game-changing that lust is not just an action, but it's also a thought. 
That's what Jesus teaches us. This will be new for some of you, but Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27, Jesus says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. The action, the action. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman, at a person with lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying, I want everyone to know how dangerous the spider of lust can be. Jesus said, you have to understand, it's not just an act, but you can look at a person and, and lust will ignite in your heart if you're not careful. And the devil will lie to you and he'll say things like this to you. You can look, just don't touch. It's okay, you can look. Just stare them up and down and think all kinds of thoughts. It's okay. Just look at pornography. You're just looking. You're not hurting anybody. But, but Jesus says, I want to protect you from the spider of lust. So Jesus says, let me teach you something. He says, be careful with your eyes because lustful thoughts are just as deadly as lustful actions. Friends, lustful thoughts will put us in bondage and eventually will lead us to lustful actions. Here's what I want to do today. For, at the beginning of this message, I want to give you the three stages of lust. The three stages of lust. I've been trying to do this throughout this series, get to the root of it, not clear the cobwebs, but to kill the spider. And I believe if we understand how the sin works, then we can more easily overcome it and kill it. So I want to show you how it works, the three stages of lust. And I'm going to use King David as a biblical example so you can learn these three stages and kill it. Stage one is this, interest. It's the interest stage. Unchecked interest would be another way I could say it, or unchecked desire. That's the first stage, interest. Notice in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, the life of King David. It says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of, his, of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The, the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, now, David was supposed to be at war. That's what kings did during that time of the year. He was supposed to be at war, but for some reason, he stayed home. And how many of you know that an idle mind is the devil's workshop? So he's got an idle mind. He's walking around on the rooftop. He sees this woman bathing, and his interest is, is piqued. His desire is piqued, and he doesn't check his interest. He doesn't check his desires. He allows his desires to run wild and he sent someone to inquire about her and the deadly spider of lust had bit him when he did not check his interest because lust can be ignited with a look, with a, with a thought. You have to check yourself before you... Ooh, we got some rappers in the house today. You've got to check yourself before you wreck yourself because if you don't check your desire, you don't check your interest, lust will be ignited in your heart. Stage two is this. Stage two is the indulgence stage. The indulgence stage. Notice in 2 Samuel chapter 11, that next verse, verse 4, it says, Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her, then went back home. David's look led to lust. His lust led to indulgence or action. Unchecked interest will eventually lead to ungodly actions. Unchecked interest 
will lead to having sex outside of the marriage bed. It it will lead to looking at pornography. It will lead, lead to daydreaming inappropriate thoughts about someone. It will lead to a late night text that should not be sent. It will lead to an inappropriate conversation on social media that should not be happening. Unchecked interest will lead to indulgence and indulgence will lead to stage three. Stage three, let me give you the third stage of lust, and that is the infection stage, the infection stage. David's indulgence, his sin led to infecting his life and the life of others. David found himself in a world of trouble. See, lust is one of those sins that that everyone tries to keep hidden, but sooner or later it reveals itself, and then people find themselves in a world of trouble. Notice this with David in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the next verse, verse 5 says, The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. The the lady is now pregnant. David tries to cover up his sin with a plan, but his plan does not work. So he decides to have her husband killed. The, The sin of lust led to more and more trouble because the lust will always take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. It, it, it leads to death. It leads to death. It, it leads to death. It, it, it leads to sexual addiction. It just takes you further than you want to pay. It leads to an unwanted pregnancy. It, it leads to sexual transmitted diseases. It, it leads to an affair. It leads to broken hearts and broken emotions and broken relationships. It leads to pain. It can lead to shame and, and guilt and condemnation. And, and James describes the st- stages of lust so vividly. I want you to notice this in James chapter 1. He, he's talking about sin in general. But I want you to see these three stages of, of sin, these three stages of lust, how he describes it in James 1 verse 14. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. Notice this, and enticed. They just let it go unchecked, unchecked interest. Verse 15 says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It gives birth to to indulgence, indulgence to action. And and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death, death, infection. When when sin, when when lust is full grown, it leads to death. It takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and ends up costing you more than you want to pay. The price tag is death, and I don't have to describe that for you because we've all seen it, how lust can cause death to a marriage, a relationship, death to purity, or death to someone's self-worth and value, their self-esteem, death to somebody's character and their morals and their values. And what I want want to do for the next few moments, now that we have an understanding of the stages of lust, I want us to kill this thing. And you say, Pastor, how do we kill lust before it kills us? I want to tell you that today. I want to give you two truths. These two truths will help you kill the spider of lust. Number one is this. Choose love over lust. If you're going to kill the spider of lust, you got to choose love over lust. One of the biggest keys to killing lust is to fall more in love with Jesus. That's what I expected the preacher to say anyway. Hear me. Let me help you. I want to let me break this down for you. 
the more you love God, the easier it is to overcome lust and to obey God's commands. I taught you this back in January, but as I know as a teacher of God's word, that when students are listening, you may hear something, understand it, but you're not applying it yet. So let me revisit this very quickly. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 2, it says, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. We know we love God and we're children of God when we love God and carry out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And he says this, and his commands are not burdensome. And some of you are thinking, Pastor, what in the world does that mean? Because God's commands are very burdensome to me. I think about God's commands and I get a burden, Pastor. Bible says pray, pray without ceasing. That's a burden. Read the Bible, serve people, tithe. That's a big burden right there, Pastor, tithe. Don't have sex outside of marriage. Don't look at pornography. Don't lie. Don't cuss people out. That's another big one for me, Pastor. That's a burden. <laughs> Turn the other cheek. That's a burden. By, Pastor, these things are burdens to me. And here's what the Bible is saying. Here's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying the more you fall in love with God, the more your desires change. You start following Jesus because you want to, not because you have to. And when you're in this place going, I got to follow Jesus. I'm just telling you, you got to fall more in love with him. You got to taste and see that the Lord is good so that he begins to change your desires and you want to follow him. Not that you have to, but you want to. Listen, I love my wife and I stay faithful to her. Been faithful to my wife for be 21 years. We'll be married in December. I've been faithful to my wife. Do you know why? Because I just stay in love with her. I don't wake up every day going, oh, gosh, I got to be faithful to her today. Gosh. But you know why? Because I focus on loving her every day. If I can just stay in love with my wife, I'll be faithful to her. I want to be faithful to her. She's the apple of my eye, but I just stay focused on loving her and taking her on a date. And how can I serve her? Come on, you be proud of your pastor. I've been doing some laundry around the house and folding the underwear. Come on. I'm just serving my wife. Sir, just, if I just stay in love and serve her, I want to stay faithful to her. And friends, listen to me. When you fall in love with Jesus and you focus on just falling more in love with God, you listen, you, you, you fall more in love and he begins to change your heart's desire. You're, you become more sensitive to God. You want to please God. You want to serve God. You want to obey God. He changes your have to to want to. That's what happened to David. He loved God and he fell more in love with God. And his desires changed. I want you to see what happened to David. He, he sinned with Bathsheba. He had her husband killed. His heart was ignited with lust. But the Bible says in Psalm 51, this is David in verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Notice this. He says, and cleanse me from my sin. God, I want you to cleanse me. I want to please you. I want to honor you. I want you to hear what this man of God says who has sinned, who, who, who was trapped by lust. I want you to see he just fell more in love with God. Psalm 51, just a few verses later, verse 10 says this. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He says, God, change my have to to want to. 
Give me a steadfast spirit. He says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And notice this, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Give me a willing spirit. Change my have to, to want to. David chose love over lust. And he fell more in love with God. And it it caused him to want to please the Lord. Here's what I know. I know some of you are right where David was. Today, you find yourself trapped and entangled by lust. And I want to say this to you today. Don't let the shame and guilt of lust push you away from God. That's the work of the evil one, to push you away from God. I'm telling you, the key is to pursue God, to fall more in love with Jesus. Pray. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I did. That's okay. Pray. Keep reading your Bible. I know you messed up on Saturday night, but still get to church on Sunday. Say, I'm still going to church. I'm still going to worship God. I'm still going to seek God. I'm I'm going to get the growth track and grow. I want somebody to give the devil a black eye today and go on the growth track and say, I know I've messed up and I know I sinned, but I love God and I want to please him. And I'm going to go and grow in my faith. Somebody get water baptized today. Out in the lobby, the pool set up. Just give the devil a black eye. I know I said, but God, I want to please you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to honor you. God, I'm coming towards you, not away from you. I'm going to fall more in love with you because I know you'll change my desires. Created me a pure heart. Go after God. You know what lust will try to do? It will drive you out of church. It'll drive you from reading the Bible. It'll drive you from praying. It'll drive you from the very thing that you need. Victory comes from choosing love over lust, loving God. Let them change your heart. Number two is this. Number two is this. Number two is this. I'm getting real practical on number two. Real. I was practical already, but I'm going to get really super practical on how to kill lust. Number two, have a plan for pressure. Have a plan for pressure. David did not have a plan to deal with the pressure of lust. If he did, it was a bad one. You're slow, but I'm waiting on you. He walked out and saw Bathsheba, and he was driven by the pressure of lust rather than a plan for lust. And you and I will cave under pressure if we don't have a plan sooner or later. You'll cave. You have to predecide. You have to predecide what you're going to do when the pressure of lust comes your way. You cannot find yourself under the pressure of lust and that you haven't already predecided what you're going to do. You, you got to predecide because you will encounter the pressure of lust. It's inevitable. It will happen. Some old flame back from high school or college back in the day shows back up in your life on social media. Hi. <laughs> what you going to do? You accidentally run across pornography. You want to get free from your addiction to pornography, but late at night when you're all by yourself, you're dealing with the pressure of lust. You're in a dating relationship and you're feeling sexual pressure from your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Someone at work is flirting with you. You're away on a business trip and pressure comes your way. What's your plan for the pressure of lust? I want to give you a plan today. Here it goes. A-C-T. You got to act. A-C-T. The act plan. Here it goes. Act. Number one is this. Admit your struggle. The letter A. Admit your struggle. Well, what I'm going to ask you to do 
is a very difficult, very difficult step. And, and I know how difficult it is. But for those of you that will have the courage to do this very difficult step, you will put yourself on the road to healing and freedom. I guarantee it. Here it goes. Here it goes. Here, here's the difficult step. Find a Christ follower and tell them about your struggle. You have to take lust and bring it to the light. That's how you kill it. You have to let someone know. And you know what the devil does? One of his greatest weapons when it comes to lust is the devil wants to keep you in isolation. He uses shame to keep you in isolation. Shame. You're nasty. You're filthy. You don't want anybody to know that you're doing that. I mean, if you really loved God, you wouldn't be struggling with lust anyways. I mean, you know, out of all the thousands of people at People's Church, you're the only one. You're the only one. And he starts lying to you and he wants to keep you in hiding because he knows freedom comes from bringing it to the light. And I know how difficult, I know how terrifying it can be to admit sexual struggle. I know it from personal experience. Some of you know my story. At the age of 13, I was sexually abused by a lady. I spiraled into sexual promiscuity and addiction. I didn't tell anybody about the abuse. I was confused and dealing with guilt of my own shame, even though, even though it's not my fault. I'm just wrestling with sexual crisis and identity. Found myself bound. And I remember I was dating Tiffany and we were engaged to be married. She was the first person I opened up to. Shared about my experience. Wondered if she would leave me. I remember getting the courage to share it with some friends a little later on and opening up to them. And I'm telling you, when I talked to Tiffany, there was some healing that began to take place. When I shared it with some friends, there was some healing that began to take place. I remember when I was getting ready to talk to you about it, the church, and I was going to write a book and put it in the book, and, and the devil whispered to me, man, you better not tell the church. Don't nobody want to follow an abused pastor? You, you don't want to tell them that. People are not going to respect you if you tell them that. I remember the enemy whispering in my ears, trying to keep me in silence, trying to keep me from experiencing the freedom that God had for my life. And I know what it is to be terrified to talk about something like this, but you got to open up because when you confess to a Christ follower, it brings healing in your own heart. It's a major step to freedom. The enemy wants to keep you in darkness and God says, you better get that out. You better find a Christian and you better confess it. James chapter five and verse 16 says, confess your your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You say, Pastor, I'm not confessing nobody. I'm talking to God. Well, you talk to God to be healed and forgiven of your sins. You talk to Christians to be healed and, and set free from an addiction and so you can experience freedom in your life. God forgives. You talk to Christians. That's God's formula. So you walk in freedom. That's why I talk about small groups so much. Pastor, I'm tired of you talking about these small groups. I am not going. That's your problem. That is your problem. That is why I'm trying to help you. I am Herbert. I'm your friend. I know you're busy and you're bound. And the way to freedom.
is to get in a group with other Christians and build a relationship where you get comfortable enough to confess your issues. And guess what happens? When you confess yours, you know what they're going to say? Me too. I got my issues. Pray for me too. That's, that's what happens. You got to find somebody. I, I want to encourage you men. There's a men's small group. I thank God for Bill Taylor, who has the courage to lead a group like this. And, and I thank God for Keith Lofton, who, who's here at the Oklahoma City campus right now, out in the lobby in the small group area, right by the baptism area where the baptismal pool is. He'll be out there right after service. Go on, drop by there. I know some of you don't want to drop by. Drop on by there. Look at the small groups and talk to them about this group called Transform, a men's group that meets at 630 in the morning on Fridays so that men can experience freedom that God has for their life. I encourage our young adults, be it young adult, our, our recharge small groups for our young adults on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. right here at the Oklahoma City campus. I'm simply saying, come, find a group, find a place so that you can confess, be prayed for, and be healed. Number two is this. Number two is this. We're looking at the word act. Admit your struggle. Number two, cut off access. Cut off access. The best thing that David could have done after seeing Bathsheba was to walk away, was to flee the scene, was to leave the roof, was to cut off access. Lust isn't something you play around with. First Corinthians chapter six and verse 18 says, flee. Come on, all of our locations, everybody shout, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Run away from it. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. People's church, lust cannot take root where there is no route. It cannot take root where there is no route. You got to cut it off, cut off access. Say, Pastor Howe, number one is this, run away. You got to run away from it. Pastor, I'm strong. No, you're not that strong. If you don't run away sooner or later, you're going to cave. You got to run away. That means you got to turn the channel. You got to bounce your eyes. You see somebody, some good-looking lady, some fine man, you're like, whoo, bounce your eyes. <laughs> bounce your eyes. Go, you're on the computer, on your phone, scroll on past it. Get on past that. Go on past it on your computer. Get on past that. Somebody flirting with you at work, you married, walk away. Don't sit there entertaining. Mm, you look good-looking. Oh, am I good-looking? <laughs> no, no, walk away. Get, get on away. Run away. And to have victory over lust, you don't just run away, you need to keep away. There's a difference. you got to keep away. I'm, ta I'm talking to you about how to have victory. That There is so much wisdom in keeping away. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away. He says, keep away from sexual sin. Then, when you keep away, then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his way. The Bible teaches us to keep away from things that tempt us to lust. What boundaries do you need to create so that you don't put yourself in vulnerable situations? You have to know your own weaknesses. Because if you keep putting yourself in compromising situations sooner or later, you're going to succumb. I'm very aware of my own weaknesses. I'm no different than anyone else. I'm wrapped in human flesh just like you. 
And so I've created boundaries in my own life to help me and to keep me away from compromising situations. Yes, sometimes I have to run away, but I try to put boundaries in my life to keep away. Like some of my boundaries that I have that help me keep away would, I, I don't meet along with the opposite sex. Even in my office, if I'm in my office, I'm sitting at my desk, if there's opposite sexes in there, the door is wide open for everybody to see. I'm just not going to meet alone. I don't ride alone in a car with another lady. I, I just, not with the opposite sex. I'm just, just not alone. I just keep away. I don't have any friends of the opposite sex. If you're a female and you try to be my friend, nope, we're not friends. <laughs> I don't have no friends of the opposite sex. I just, I just keep, just, I just keep away. At home, in our television, they, we have our, we have channels that are blocked. Chan- we just have channels that are blocked. We don't subscribe to you know, bad channels, but there are just some channels that are just not good. Now, my wife is the only one that has the password. Pray she don't fall into lust, somebody. Come on, but I don't want that thing, though. We have filters on our computer. My wife has all of my passwords. I, mean, I hope my life is just available to her. She can get on my phone whenever she wants. She can get on my emails. She can just go on my social media accounts. She can just go wherever she wants on my accounts. My life is open to her. She has access to all of my calendar, where I'm at, what I'm doing. Matter of fact, we have apps on our phone now that we know where, because we did it for our teenagers, so we know where our teenagers are at all times, but we know where each other are at all times. She knows exactly where I'm at because that app tells her where I am. I'm just saying, what are your boundaries? Just think about you. You're hearing me, but what about your life? What boundaries do you need in place to keep away from lust? You know yourself. What do you need? Maybe you're single and you're always going to the apartment alone with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Hey, Pastor, we just keep following. Oh, gosh, it's just, just so much tempting. Well, stop going. <laughs> just keep away. Don't park your car at the park late at night. Talking about y'all going to pray. No, you're not. You ain't going to pray. Y'all not to pray at 11 o'clock at night with the car park. Y'all are not that spiritual. <laughs> I know better. Because me and Tiffany parked the car, too. Come on, somebody. We'll do that. We stayed... Pure until marriage, barely. Come on, somebody, barely, barely. I'm telling you, stay away from the parties. Stay out the club. Watch your friendships. Watch who you date. You got to unfollow some friends on social media. Some folks you don't need to be following. Block some people. Change jobs. Take a new route to work. Change your phone number. I'm saying lust cannot take root where there is no route. You have to eliminate the routes, cut off access. Number three is this. Number three is this. We're looking at the T. We're looking at act. The T is this. Trust God's plan for purity. Trust God's plan for purity. Please hear your pastor. One of the best ways to kill the spider of lust is you have to trust God's plan for purity. You have to really believe that God has a wonderful gift called sex. And he's not trying to keep it away from you. He's not trying to punish you. God's plan is only to protect you and to bless you. That's why he set up boundaries for it. The greatest gifts and blessings in life are best experienced in the context and frameworks of boundaries. The best gifts in life are best experienced with boundaries. I thank God for work. And you do too. You work. You get a paycheck, you eat. But aren't you, aren't you glad they got boundaries for work? Like how many hours you got to work and 
what you have to do. There's boundaries. I, I love watching sports and yesterday was a bad sports day for the state of Oklahoma. Come on, somebody. But I'm glad in football and basketball and track and baseball and softball and, and this volleyball that there's, there's boundaries, there's rules. Wouldn't it be frustrating every time you watch a basketball game, you didn't know what was going on because they changed the rules every game? No, 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 you, you shoot any basket you want now. Now, if you dribble between your legs, it's two points. Like, I mean, y'all got to put some boundaries on this thing so I can enjoy it. My family, we love to go on vacation together. When we go on vacation, we normally stay at a hotel. And I'm glad there's boundaries for hotels. Like, when you can check in, when you check out. You get a key and they, they wipe off the other person's key when you get your keys. And come on, it'd be a horrible thing when you land in bed at 12 a.m. and somebody comes in your room talking about, I decided to stay one more night. No, uh-uh. No, you didn't. There's boundaries. When we go out to eat, I'm glad that restaurants have a boundary. They tell, they're called prices. And I know what I'm going, before I pay, before I eat, I know what I'm going to pay. Aren't you glad there's boundaries? It's like, like, no, we don't have no boundaries in this restaurant. You just eat. We'll let you know after you eat. No, there's got to be some boundaries. I love a good campfire. But how many know there's a big difference between a campfire and a forest fire? See, a campfire has boundaries. And it can warm you. You can eat marshmallows, s'mores, make memories with family campfire. Forest fire will burn down houses, kill people, destroy acres and acres and acres and acres of land. It's out of control. And God says when it comes to sex and sexual desires, I'll put boundaries on it because if you don't have boundaries, it will turn into a forest fire. I want it to bless you. I want it to be a campfire where it warms you. And I thank God for the campfire of sex because sometimes Tiffany warms me. I can't tell you no more right there, church. I can't give you, can't give you no more. can't give you no more. It'll bless you. It's a wonderful gift from God, but it gets outside of, the, of God's boundaries and man, crazy things happen, sexually transmitted diseases and, and broken hearts and, and affairs and, and deception and, and broken relationships and, and unwanted pregnancies and, and so much happens. And God says, I'm only doing this because the best things in life are experienced in the context of a, of a boundary. 